I am unashamed. What about you? So welcome back to Unashamed Podcast. We got Zach uh, this time. Hopefully, Zach, we got you for the whole podcast. We'll see. We, you just kind of you're like the you're like a, a mist. You just fade in and fade out. We never yeah, know. We had a a little error on the last one. I had a little piece of hardware. So if I can show it here, you can kind of see it, but it's plugged in. Phil may know what that is. So sixty eight dollars is what it cost. It that cost sixty eight dollars. $68. So I, it, was, it wasn't working. I did all the troubleshooting, did everything, couldn't log in. It was one little piece of equipment. Went to Best Buy, said, I need one of these. I didn't know what it was called. I said, I need one of these. And the guy took me back to the counter and he said, we, we have one that's like it, but it's the one we have is $119. The one hmm. you have is 60 something dollars one. So I bought the, the, the other, I had to have one. So I got it, drove back. Plugged it in, and I was just going to log in to kind of watch you guys at the rest of the podcast in overtime. I and as soon as out. the thing pops up, it's like I'm like adjusting my equipment. Oh, look who showed up finally. Well, I don't like being <laughs> creeped upon. I mean, if you're going to come in and look over my shoulder, I'm going to call you out on it. You know, I don't like people sneaking up behind me and just observing. <laughs> Declare yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> just try what yeah. I've been doing for about the last 30 years. Just don't fool yeah. with any of that. Phil, you, <laughs> yeah. you've been trying you that people. for 70, how old are you? 76? I'm computer free. Computer yeah. but free But you got zone. people there. Never people the well, he does free. have people, but you know, hey, it's fine. Well, look, I don't have a cell phone. I wouldn't have one, but I'm glad other people do, or they wouldn't be hearing what we're saying right now. Yeah, you've come a long way, mm-hmm. Phil. So we appreciate that. Well, this is uh speaking of dinosaur activity. I've had this Bible for seven or eight years, and it's fallen apart. There's been several listeners try to attempt to find this exact print because if you hadn't figured this out, but how many episodes have we done now? Almost six hundred oh, episodes. My brain functions a little differently than the average human. That could be good or bad, but I don't, I can't keep up with numbers, but I know where everything is on the page. That's right. You said you're kind of like that. Uh-uh. Like if you say John 11, I immediately get an, uh, an image of the if, page. If you give me another Bible, I couldn't be near as quick because no. with the verses, I want them on the same place. I'm the same way. So, uh, and there's been several attempts, but, but someone uh, I just got this. They pulled it off. This is a brand new. Same, everything's on the that same. That was mighty and nice. They actually put a real nice uh, leather cover. They did this for a picture. That'll give you and, a few uh, more so years I'm, on it, Jace. I'm sure that'll show up somewhere on the internet saying, "Hey, check this out." But uh, I thought it was a good. So you, 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 you gave them. You gave them a picture of you with the Bible in exchange yeah. for the Bible. I did. So the That's ramifications of that. I don't know, but I'm real happy right now. Whoever did that, we thank him. Yeah, I thank you. Man, you did it, and you did. I mean, they went, they went the uh, second mile with the leather cover. So, I, I'm going to retire this. Oh, we're so, at, we're watching this in real time. Yeah, this, this is, is the kind retirement of a moment here because, like, most of the New Testament is no longer connected. And uh, I knew I had a problem the last event I gave because I couldn't find Colossians. 
and it was <laughs> I'd stuck it in the back back here, and I'm up there, and I'm like, you know, trust me, it's in here. But you know, when someone says trust me, it's in here somewhere. That's usually a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Well, and Jace, that kind of defeats your theory of knowing where it is on the page when you can't find the page. You You need the page, Al. I need the page, and I need the same print. And uh, so I'm, I'm really happy. This is this is the best Christmas present I've gotten this year. It's the first one because we're getting pretty close to Christmas out here. Well, and I'll just go ahead and say it because we get asked this. I don't know how many times, Zach, we've been asked. It's a, we use, uh, it's a 1984 NIV because um, they had different years where they came in and they, you know, add to it or whatever, do it in a little bit different ways. And we all kind of grew up, or at least Dad, Jason, and I, we, we kind of went through our Bible study and training with the uh, NIV 1984, and it was a Thompson Chain reference. And it's a great study Bible. I mean, we love, but there's a lot of good study Bibles out there, but people are always ask us what we use. So that's it. Now, Zach, you, what do you use? You use something different. Yeah, I use the NASB um, and ESV. Um, there was a lot of letters. There was way too many letters for a new, yeah, new American Standard Bible version and then the uh, English Standard Version. Oh, so you use two so, different ones. I, yeah, I like to use two. I, I grew, But I did grow up on the uh, same Bible you guys did. So sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll start quoting scripture. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to go back to that NIV 84 um, in my mind. So what I'll do, especially if something's controversial, I will look and you can do this on a computer fail, which is you know, kind of crazy. You can bring up all the translations of all the Bibles on one list in mm. five seconds. And so then which and then you can always go to the Greek, and that was one thing I did learn with Al 30 years ago when we went through school. I just learned how to take the tools and look at the original Greek language to English, and which is, you know, it's it's not that hard, really, once yep. you have have the right tools to do. helpful. Yeah, and that was, and that's a, by the way, you guys out there studying, because I know you're following along with us, like Jay said, it's pretty easy uh, if you get the right uh, app or the right, you know, thing, right website to just, you can just single out a word and you can find out what it meant in the original Greek. I will say this because we get asked a lot about translations and the King James, of course, is a, a really old translation. And I still think most people in the world probably use the King James. But a lot of people say, well, I want to use it because it was closer to the original, but really not because the, so, a lot of the newer translations went further back. Uh, because there have been a lot of discoveries of text. So you, you can't always just assume because the King James came along in 1600 that it's closer to the original than one would today because they're finding more and more, uh, you know, copies of things that go all the way back. So yep. just, you know, a lot of people kind of get weirded out about translations, but you just got to remember something. God in his infinite wisdom got us what we needed to have. And so ultimately you, you can't get all bent out of shape. What about this? Or what about the Apocrypha? Or this all of them say Jesus died, was buried and raised from the dead. That's where I was headed with this. It was, it was written to reveal a person. This is, this is, we have a relationship with the creator of the universe and he sent Jesus so we could relate and he paid for our mistakes and he showed us that we can be raised again. Okay. 
and and you have a historical. You know, we talked about the last podcast. When you follow along with history and what this represents from a historical viewpoint, and it's only going to cement your faith. So contrary to you know what what non-believers may say, but I'll give you an example of this. I don't know why this popped in my brain, but so like in Mark six went because I remember I, the last time I looked up the Greek, and I don't know why I looked up this word. But when they, when Jesus, you know, came to his hometown and you remember he, he said, uh, you know, a prophet doesn't have honor in his hometown because they were asking where he got these things and they were impressed. How does he even do miracles? And then all of a sudden they said, well, wait a minute, isn't this the, isn't he a carpenter? Wasn't that Mary's son? And it says they took offense at him. So I looked up that word offense. Well, it's actually where we get the, the, word i can't pronounce the word but it's where we get the word scandal it was like the you could see the word scandal in that in that greek word you know and so they were looking at him as like scandalous because he had no pedigree and he he was just an ordinary they were really offended that such an ordinary fella that they knew was claiming these these just crazy things that you're you're god and you can do miracles and so they viewed him as scandalous yeah the first thing god had to say was in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth simple enough not rocket science the last thing he says is amen come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with god's people amen that's the first thing the bible <laughs> says and the last thing in between that it, you don't, it doesn't take rocket science to figure it out. <laughs> it's actually written at about a fifth grade level. Um, when are we going to get to the deeper truths of the Bible? I said, we're already there. You, you're digging enough. You believe Jesus died for your sins, was buried and raised from the dead? They said, yeah. I said, that's deep as you need to dig. Yeah, I like well, it. Well, since Jesus said, I am the truth, if you had a relationship with him, wouldn't you be at the deeper truth of the Bible? Okay. <laughs> if I know Jesus, I know enough. But but you're right, Jay. Sometimes in a recent thing we talked about, we were talking about whenever Mary was, you know, Jesus said, don't touch me. Some of the versions, a lot of the versions say, don't touch me because I haven't returned to the Father. But when you look up that Greek word, it actually says, don't hold on to me because I had been to the father and mm -hmm. it's just, you know, a little bit of understanding. Sometimes you don't get into some crazy, you know, doctrines and stuff like that that people do. So, well, look, we got a, we're going to take a break, but uh, on the other side, we've got a very special guest today and we're super excited to hear uh, from him. So I'll introduce him on the other side of this break. So a lot of people um, tell us that we're courageous and unashamed because of our podcast. And we appreciate that because we are. Um, there's a, a one of our sponsors, a group called Covenant Eyes, uh, that really that they've got that same sort of spirit and mindset about trying to do the right thing uh, and trying to help people who have uh, fallen under the spell of pornography uh, on the Internet, especially uh, for the past 22 years. Uh, they've helped over one point five million people have a porn-free life. Uh, pornography is not something we like to talk about it, but it affects us all. Uh, we have a, a lot of men, boys, that listen to our podcast, and so we know the struggles that are out there. 
uh, it can not only destroy you and your mind, but also your marriage, your family. And uh, we want you to find some freedom uh, with the strong faith. And these folks can help. So see for yourself what a porn-free life can look like and protect your family as an added bonus. Right now, you can try Covenant Eyes free for 30 days. Uh, that's a free 30-day trial if you sign up today with the promo code Phil. So nothing to lose but a lot to gain. Here's where you go. Visit CovEyes.com, C-O-V, CovEyes.com slash Phil. That's CovEyes.com slash Phil uh, to get that free 30-day trial uh, towards a porn-free life. We've got a, a very special guest, a Chad Robichaux. Welcome to the Unashamed Podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. We, see, we love to have Louisiana folks that uh-huh. do well to uh-huh. come into the Unashamed Lair. It's, I'm excited it's, it's about this. I was, yeah, uh, I'm was. i staying with uh, John Howard, and I, I was telling, uh, I just emailed Corey this morning, and it said, uh, I feel like I'm at home. Uh, she was like, oh, man, I just want to go go fishing or hunting oh, oh, or something. Five seconds into the introduction, I thought, no, oh, this is going to go well. This oh, is yeah. my kind of guy. You're from Louisiana, right? From Louisiana. I grew up in uh, in Raceland in Thibodeau, so uh, down down in south Louisiana, Lafouche Parish, Bayou Country. Yeah. You know, sometime this winter, you ought to you get a hold of Al Air or Jay's or whoever and uh, make a hunt with us. Oh, that'd be, that'd be a know? dream come true. You, so I'd love yeah. that. Yeah, we were comparing catfishing stories. So, you, and you commercial fish for years. So, my family, uh, my whole family, were commercial catfishermen. Uh, my grandfather started started when he was a, you know, probably like ten years old. Started fishing and selling fish for money. And uh, all of his brothers, and they till the day they died, they commercial fished. And all of my uh, their kids, so my my grandmother, my aunts and uncles, all skin fish and fish for a living. And I was the oldest grandkid, so I was the I was the last where it stopped. Yeah, I grew up uh, from. Uh, from when I could walk in fishing boats, running trout lines and hoop nets, and uh, and then skinning catfish in the in the yeah. fish market. And we were job. We did the same thing. That is a good bloodline. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that is. It's a. So now you see why this. You got this chasm in between my brother and uh, Zach because they're kind of the city boys uh, of the family here, <laughs> and so they're off somewhere. Al's on a beach somewhere, and uh, well, you're on a mountain, huh, Zach? I'm on a mountain. Yeah. Yep. So, but, you know, it takes all kinds. I sure, uh, I've yeah. had a lot of experience in my life, but one of the things I'm most thankful for is growing up that way. Uh, growing up, work, watching my family work hard and, and, and working hard from a kid and just those those character traits, like, I feel like it stuck with me my whole life. Oh, I, I'll say the I same you. thing. But I didn't really realize it was work at the time. No, no, it's just, <laughs> it was just, it was just eat because we'd eat almost every night. Uh, you my guys might have probably ate a lot of duck growing up and like catfish. Every night was cat fried catfish and, and white beans and rice for me. Oh, yeah. So We've we, eaten a many a catfish <laughs> much ate and fish. a duck. <laughs> well, I think it made us good hunters and fishermen because however many you caught and what kind was dependent on how well you were going to eat. That's so, right. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about eating a mud cat. Now I kind of drew the line at the mud. That was more just a survival fish. Yeah, we we stayed with the flatheads, <laughs> which they look similar, but there's a big difference in taste. Uh, there's a yeah. big difference. You know, yeah. Sackle, you you couldn't legally sell those, so right. we like. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations <laughs> might have run out by that time. Yeah, Those were yeah. hard Be times. Careful, Phil. I, remember, I remember Phil saying, oh, okay, so we're supposed to throw this Sakale back oh, yeah. because he swam in this net. 
Well, it's hard to do that when your stomach is grumbling. Yeah, yeah. And they're good. 30, 40 years ago, you know. Now, one thing that we eat, so you, you're probably like thinking that we did, we're weird for eating mud cats, but we eat pool dew too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pool dew. You put yeah. enough Cajun seasoning on anything, yeah. y'all have proven that you literally can eat anything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when, when, you see, when you eat pool dew and, 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 uh, and, and, and raccoons and possums, <laughs> you kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, the Cajuns found out that garlic was the key to everything, right? Oh, yeah. Gar- garlic, garlic can make anything, anything yeah. work. And a roux. Yeah. You know, you just, right. if you start off with a roux, you can put anything in oh, it. Oh, cornmeal, too. If you deep fry something, you can throw it in a pull boy and it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Chad, did you have? Have you ever worn a pair of white boots? I did. I did. I. I was kind of white my, boots. <laughs> white boots are our sign. White white boots is what I grew up with. I mean, uh, yeah. I remember. I remember actually as a kid. Like I know most kids would be mortified if their if their parents made them wear white boots. But I wanted to wear white boots because my grandfather was like who I looked up to, and he he always had white boots on yeah. with his pants tucked inside. And uh, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, so, so for those in our audience that don't know the the white boots, that's a that's kind of a sign of people that crawfish or commercial fish or really any just any in a boat. Uh, those guys have always got the white boots on. You just, it's just if you're from Louisiana, you know that. But well, it's funny Cajun because cowboy, you get up cowboy boots. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You, but if you were not from that culture and you tried to come down and be an imposter by wearing the white boots without having the skill set. To function, that's right. yeah, that usually didn't end well for you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Is can that tell, not true? You can tell if you're blowing in them or not. You can tell by the stains on them. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. so so you said Lafouche Parish, uh, Chad, spell Lafouche for our audience because they would never be able to spell it. L-A-F-O-U-C-H-E. Did I get it right? Lafouche. Yeah. There you go. You got <laughs> yeah. it. That's exactly right. I thought there was it's an R really... in there somewhere. Wasn't no, there? that's... Oh. No R in Lafouche. Oh, I think I've been pronouncing it with an R for you. So, years. Chad, when did you go into the military? How old were you? I was 17 years old and uh, left Louisiana to venture off into California. And I come from a long generation of military, from 84 years of service, all out of Raceland, Louisiana. Um, yeah. my, my, uh, I had a, a grandfather, uh, I had a, a great-grandfather that did World War II, uncles that did uh, uh, Korea, my dad did Vietnam. My dad was a Marine in Vietnam as infantryman. Uh, I, I did eight deployments to Afghanistan as a force recon Marine, and both my sons served in Marines as well. So uh, all the way up until our service just ended, and we could probably go on a tangent here, our service just ended with uh, my youngest son being put out of Marine Corps because of the vaccine. And uh, so oh, that's wow. how that's how our 84-year 84, 84 legacy of service to our country in every war ended with, with that over that vaccine. Good night. And it was uh, they denied his religious exemption. So uh, that's yeah. so insane. Yeah. I mean, you think about that, and you you described it perfectly, Chad. I mean, you're talking about almost a hundred years of service to our country, and something like that uh, becomes a reason given to people not to serve. I, it just it, it blows me away. Yeah, he really right. he really struggled with it. He called me and he's like, Dad, you know, uh. I, I really believe this isn't the right thing to do. One, one as a Christian, he didn't believe it was the right thing to do, and and, and felt he was being forced to, against his religious beliefs. And two, he was really he was legitimately scared. He's like, I I know a kid that was completely healthy and just died over this heart issue. Like I'm I'm scared to do it. And he's like worried that our family's name would be tarnished. And I said, I, you know, I'm I'm totally behind you. What you choose, I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up. So what, yeah. whatever you believe in your heart's right, and I'm gonna stand behind you. And we just got the right counsel and advice from uh, active duty generals that were still in the Marine Corps helping behind the scenes who, who believed the same thing. 
and some lawyers and we made sure he did everything correctly that way he did his best to stay in didn't just bail yeah. and i uh, went through the whole process and uh he appealed to the combat of the marine corps to the uh uh all the way from his command to the combat of the marine corps and then to the secretary of the navy and you know ultimately they gave him uh they gave him a other than honorable discharge with the commission of a serious offense um uh for for refusing the vaccine and uh and so he lost his loses any college benefits or anything like that. Like that. But you know, we're 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 prayerful and, and and believe that God's going to redeem that and uh and all of these thousands because he's he's one of thousands. Um, they they were denied a hundred percent of the religious exemptions. Um, that will be overturned uh, uh through Congress at some point. And yeah, so we we believe in that he'll get his honorable discharge. Well, and look, pe- people that stand up for what they believe in is why you serve to begin with. So, yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I tip my hat to to him for standing by his convictions, even though obviously in the short run it's going to cost him something. Well, on behalf of all of us in Unashamed Nation, we thank you and your family uh, for your service to our country. And yeah, I, yeah. I hate that it ended that way. So, Chad, tell us about tell us about Afghanistan. I mean, some of your experiences there. It, it, it's led into what we're going to be talking about because you've written a book. Um, which is amazing. It's called Saving Aziz. And uh, I, I, before we get into all that, just tell a little bit about what it was like to serve there and, and kind of what you did while you were there. Yeah. So um, I I had did about 10 years of service before before 9-11. So I was already in about 10 years before 9-11. And I went into, you know, my childhood dream was to be a four-street kind of Marine. My brother and I decided when we were 13 and 14 years old, to, that's the route we want to go. And about a year into preparing for that together, my brother was, was killed. Uh, he was shot and killed. And, uh, uh, he was shot by a, a 20 gauge shotgun off the, off the, the gun rack in, in his house by his, uh, his stepbrother. And, uh, so, so it was, uh, it was devastating to me. And, but all through those years of, uh, continuing to keep that dream moving forward when I joined the Marine Corps, uh, it was almost like a promise to finish that. And, uh, and so when I was 18 years old, I went in at 17 to 18 years old, I became a recon Marine and, uh, which is special operations in the Marine Corps for those who don't know. And eventually made it to force recon, which is like the next level up. And then uh, after 9-11, I remember when those planes flew in the World Trade Center buildings, I was a team leader at 3rd Force Recon Company. I was a, a sergeant there, and uh, and I knew, like, my life's about to be different. Like, we we're going to go and, and make yeah. this right. And, and we wanted to. No one was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to war. Everyone everyone was like, let's go do this. Let's go set this uh, set this right. And um, I tried out for what's called the JSOC Task Force, Joint Special Operations Command Task Force. It's like the premier place to go where you know seal team six and delta force and all those i tried out for a task force there and was accepted on and uh and then so i did all eight of my deployments to afghanistan in that capacity and i had a very unique job my job was a called an afo advanced force operator which means you work by yourself or with one other teammate and you embed with the locals you don't live on base you live with the locals and you uh you go forward of your unit to really build all the clandestine infrastructure to put the our teams our assaulters on target to capture kill the worst bad guys out there they're like a scout Kind of, uh, it's kind of like being an undercover cop because you're going in, you're, you're setting up a reason to be there and you're building all the you know, safe houses and warehouses and cars and vehicles and, and finding where the bad guys are and putting your team on target. You Did live you have in, like an interpreter or something with you? So I had an interpreter with me and uh, that's Aziz, the, the title of the book, Saving oh, Aziz. Okay. Right. And so Aziz was uh, in that job. He can't just be an interpreter. He has to be a teammate. So he's very trained, very vetted. I see. And, uh, and so Aziz and I pretty much worked independently together for all eight of my deployments. Uh, it wasn't like I went away on a deployment, came home and did a whole different job and went back. That all eight of those deployments over those years was the same mission. Oh, really? So Aziz and I was was together all the times. And so, how know, in the world did they not figure out 
you weren't from around there. Yeah. Well, they know you're from. You're not from yeah. around there, but uh, but uh, you know, you're out there spending a lot of money and doing uh, you you build a reason to be there, some le- le- okay. legitimate business, and even the Taliban wants you there because they're making a lot of money off of you, I and uh, and you know whether they think you're doing something nefarious or or not, they wouldn't have suspected I was with the United States military. And uh, and you know Aziz's the well, big. Were you nervous? I mean, were you nervous about that or? Oh yeah. Well, at the time, it seemed like it made a lot of sense. Look, being forty-seven <laughs> now, looking back, it seems pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you always, even when you're, I know TV probably doesn't depict how it is, but you're just like, it just seems like, you know, when you're in a foreign country and they're terrorists, and you're, yeah. I mean, you're, it's just hard. It's like I feel like trying to hide who we really are would be very difficult i was know? telling john this on the way there and and, and ironically enough you know mr phil just said this uh genesis 1 1 first 10 words of the bible kind of spells it all out for me in, in in the beginning god created the heavens and earth to me that's the most powerful verse in all the bible it's the first first verse 10 words of the bible and the reason i think it's the most powerful is because if you believe that if you believe god created everything then God's in control of everything. If God's in control of everything, he's sovereign. And he holds our our fears, our insecurities, our, our safety, whether we're on the couch, sitting in this podcast room, we're in Afghanistan by ourselves in the middle of the mountains. You've always got that resurrection from the dead in your line of work. Yeah. I would say, make sure you got Jesus on the straight. You have to. <laughs> I understand that now. And I, I think I always believed that God was in control. But at the time, I didn't have God in my life. And, yep. and ultimately, it almost cost me everything. Uh, but by not having God in my life and doing that, I've hard been work. there myself. Yes, sir. We all have. We all have. Yeah, yeah. So, so hang on. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. Tis the season, as they say. It's Christmas time, which is always a favorite. Uh, I do love giving people ideas about things they can get. Uh, and you, if you go to philmerch.com, use the promo code Phil twenty. Got a lot of unashamed gear. Uh, that's there. Make great gifts. There's some uncanceled stuff there. Love always protects. It's a great T-shirt. So if you're looking at a Christmas idea, check out PhilMerch.com. Use the promo code Phil20. So Chad, tell us. You, you tell us about uh, Aziz. Kind of what you can tell. I'm sure there's things you can't still probably talk about. But what are some of the things? How, how did you get close? What are some of the things you guys did together? Because I think it sets up so much of, of what the book goes into in terms of, you know, getting them out of there. Well, I mean, you know, the book and the story isn't a story of just rescuing Aziz and these 17,000 people. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story of friendship from two people that came from totally different. He's, he's a country boy, just like me, grew up in, in Afghanistan. But uh, we come from two totally different worlds and, and backgrounds. And, uh, but we found ourselves together and doing this important mission, you know, me, fighting to retaliate for what happened at 9-11 and keeping our country safe and him wanting to have a country where his daughters could go to school and be free of, uh, you know, that oppression and, and to have freedom for his country. And that's how we found ourselves together. And, but we spent 24 hours a day together for, for, you know, months at a time out in these mountains of Afghanistan or across the border into Pakistan and, you know, hunting these bad guys. And, uh, and in those times, there's been moments where he, three moments specifically in combat, he saved my life, uh, and he probably saved my life every day. Like, don't walk there. Don't eat that. Don't talk to that person. If you speak right now, they're going to kill us. Like, he saved my life every day. And, uh, you know, he's one of the bravest and most amazing men I know. And uh, when we were not operating in Afghanistan, I didn't go back to base and he went home. I went to his home and I lived in his home. His wife, Hatra, you know, we could make me meals. And I'd play soccer with his nieces and nephews. I was there when his oldest son, Mashud, was born. And Mashud, I's daughter, I was there when she was born. And uh, so we were, we were very close and we, like, love each other. We're, you know, we would 
willing to die for each other. And uh, so we just had this amazing bond. I, I could share one story of one time he, he like literally like saved my life just because of his kind of street smarts, his wit. We were, uh, I was going to go buy these guns from the Taliban, uh, not because we were trying to buy from the Taliban, just because they had them. And we were putting these guns in safe houses for, uh, for our contingency plans. And uh, as I was, I was going to buy these guns, he's like, hey, I don't think you should go by yourself, like me and just me and you, because I, I believe they're going to rob us. Uh, like he, he thought they were going to set us up and try to rob us and kill us more like a criminal act, not a terrorist act. But uh, and uh, just his street smarts. And he's and he's like, I'm, I'm going to go with you, but we need to bring two other guys. So I brought this other guy, Dan and Bank, with us. And uh, and we went and uh, he was right. You know, they had set us up. We were in this wood mud compound. I'm in the back with Dan. We're buying these these guns, and they had like AK-47s, a PKM, like heavy machine gun, and an RPG, rocket propelled grenade launcher. We're buying these guns, and uh, and uh, and he's looking over the wall outside the compound, and with this guy Bank, and they just start yelling, and and uh, and as they're yelling, uh, the guy that we're with that was selling us the guns says, "Hey, those are my friends. Don't hurt them." And I'm and we're like, "How do you know who's out there?" You know, they had they had set us up, and they were gonna take the money and kill us, and. Uh, so Aziz and, and Bank had these guys at gunpoint. I ran out there. It was four Taliban guys in a, in a car where they had all AK-47s, but they couldn't get out the car because Aziz and them had to kind of angle on top of them. And we took them out of the car, zip-tied them, and uh, ended up abducting the the guy that tried to rob us and turned them back over to the tribal leader for doing that. And uh, we never seen that guy again. But, but uh, you know, it's just like those kind of things all the time. He was just like always like, hey, this could be really dangerous, but I'm going to put myself out there for you because I, I love you and care about you. And we just built this amazing friendship over the years. So you left. Were you there? I mean, did you come out like when everybody came out, out of Afghanistan or were you already out of the country? I mean, were you on deployment whenever um, just two years ago when they basically said all all military out? No, no. I, I've been out for a long time. So 2007 was when I did my last deployment to Afghanistan. Um, during those last deployments, I had a very bad uh, – my last deployment, I had we lost – 12 of our teammates were captured and killed. 10 of them were Afghans, but they were like Aziz. So they were like family. So it may not sound like a big deal to some people listening, but these Afghan guys, like I lived with them. I, they're, yeah. they're my friends. They're my brothers. Yeah. And uh, so they were captured and killed. Uh, two, are Amer- two are Americans, so 12 total. And then um, they drove a vehicle bomb into my house trying to kill me and my team. And then um, they tried to abduct Aziz. Uh, I ended up getting abducted by a foreign intelligence agency uh, because of all this happened. And, uh, and so I, I, when I left my last deployment, I left in a pretty bad shape. I had, I was diagnosed with severe PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I dealt with about three years of debilitating panic attacks, anger, depression, um, and, uh, almost lost my family, separated from my family. We've been married 27 years now, but separated from my family. I was, uh, I was in relationships with other women, um, totally in a toxic place. And I made an attempt to, to take my life in 2010. And uh, I attempted to to shoot myself. I had a pistol uh, and a Glock twenty two pistol. And uh, in one of those moments, I was uh, well, I'll go back while we were while me and my wife were separated. I had like really went in this isolation. I was a professional fighter as well. I kind of had that uh, also background, so I was like really busy with that and trying to stay occupied with that. And my wife had went to this church and she started praying for me, and she was she would pray. No, God, let me see Chad the way you see Chad. Let me love Chad the way you love Chad. Let me forgive Chad the way you forgave Chad. While I'm totally betraying her, like infidelity, just a total mm. butthole to her. And uh, I'm just being just a terrible person. And uh, and then she came to check on me. And when she came to check on me, I was in that closet with my pistol in my hand. 
and uh, looking at my family pictures on the floor and, and uh and i heard a knock on the door i wasn't gonna answer it but when i heard my wife's voice announce herself i, I panicked uh, and i hid that pistol because i was probably ashamed and i went to the door and i started yelling at her for which sounds crazy but i was so mad that she interrupted me about to kill myself i started yelling at her and she asked me a question that saved my life and, and definitely changed my life she asked me how i could do everything i did in the, in the marine corps you know, she saw me, we were about 17, 18, we met. So she saw me could make it through special operations training and going to Afghanistan and, and, uh, being successful in these MF professional fights as an athlete and she, all the discipline in my life. She's like, how could you do all of that? When it comes to your family, you'll quit. And, uh, that question for me, like, you know, oh. <laughs> no more soul cutting word to me yeah. about called the quitter. Yeah. yeah. And she was right. I had been successful professional things, but came the most important things like being a husband, being a father, uh, I, including my own will to live, I, I quit in those things, yeah, and I, yeah. I made a pretty radical decision that led me into a lot of healing, but nothing more profound than a, a man who stepped into my life and mentored me and discipled me and led me to a relationship with Christ, and that brought me into a point of restoration and ultimately lit a fire and purpose into me to walk away from everything in my life and, and share that solution with others. And that when we started the Mighty Oaks Foundation, which was twelve years ago, and you know since then I've been able to we served over four hundred fifty thousand uh, of our warriors through Mighty Oaks Foundation doing that. And so that had been a long time since Afghanistan to the withdrawal. I got you. What's amazing to me is when you share that, though, I mean, because you started off saying the Lord's in control. I mean, the fact that you can go back through all that darkness mm -hmm. and realize that the Lord had a plan is, is truly amazing. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our head around it. Cause... Yeah. I don't believe God did those things to me, but yeah. he could have he intervened any time, but he allowed me to go down that, that dark path on my own and then used it. Uh, you yep. know, I, I probably wouldn't have the ministry I have today to, like I said, we've ministered over 450,000 active duty troops and through our ministry. And, uh, we do like $5 million a year in programming for free to, for our, our camp style warriors. And, and, uh, would I have that platform to do that if I hadn't been through those dark places that these guys are going through? I, I don't believe I would. And yep. they, they listen to, they listen to me, not because I just had the good news, but because I've been in that dark valley myself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so God allowed that. Let's take another break. Most of us, Chad, I mean, can, can speak to different experiences. But when God has delivered us from something, it gives us a heart, you know, for those people. And, uh, and, and certainly it sounds like that's your case, especially with what you guys are doing, Mighty Oaks, which I encourage people to check out your foundation. Uh, it's a great organization. So tell me, back to Aziz, tell me a little bit about then when you figured when you, when you knew you had to get him out of Afghanistan, because obviously this is a lot of people have similar stories about people. They love their brothers, as you called it, uh, that, that they realized they were in danger. So tell us about that process and how that led to a lot of other people that you've helped get out of there. Well, when, um, we had tried for six years to get Aziz out of the special immigrant visa process to, to become, a, uh, come to America, him and his wife and, and six kids. And, uh, I mean, Aziz did so much for our country, and that process is only supposed to take nine months. It's a contract that the United States government gives to them. If they fulfill their contract, it's a nine-month process to get a special immigrant visa because they proved themselves. They served alongside of us, for most of them, for 20 years now. They've been vetted. We know who they are. They've shown their loyalty to America, you know, and that's a, that's a contractual promise that we gave to them. And so in six years, that hadn't happened, and even with people I know in Congress. So when the president – Biden announced the withdrawal of Afghanistan. One, I knew it was a mistake. It was going to be catastrophic. And, uh, and two, I was worried about my friend. Uh, and, uh, and I couldn't, 
consciously leave him there to be killed because of what he did for me. And so I made a decision to go back, go back, go back and get my friend and uh, Aziz and his wife and his six kids. Uh, I couldn't use the military because uh, the military wasn't allowed to go into this administration. And so I got together uh, 12 of the most qualified people I knew of in the special operations community. Um, Four Shreek Marines, Delta Force guys, Green Berets, some, uh, a few SEALs. Uh, and uh, some guys from the CIA's ground branch, the paramilitary unit, and put together this team of about 12 people to go get Aziz. And as we're putting the plan together, uh, we realized we got this incredible team who all have the willingness to go. One of our, uh, we end up calling it Task Force uh, 6-8, which from Isaiah 6-8, you know, and then I heard the voice from the Lord saying, who will go? And, and I said, here am I, send me. Uh, we just all felt that same calling that God was burning our heart to go yeah. get Aziz. And then I think God expanded that burden on our heart. And one of the team members said, Hey, there's this group of 3,500 orphans. They're orphans of former Afghan National Army soldiers that were killed, and they're going to be left behind. The people who are watching them fled, and they're going to be left. Let's go get them too. And so we said, we kind of paused for a moment and said, man, we got all this, we had this willingness, all this experience, this ability. Let's not just get Aziz and his family or these 3,500 kids. Let's get as many Americans, interpreters, their families, women and children and Christians that we persecuted. Let's get as many people as we can. And so we made a decision in that moment. Uh, to go and, and, and get as many people as we can and do as much as we could. And I really believe in that moment, God just put this heavy, heavy burden on our heart to take our experiences that he's allowed us to have uh, in spe the special operations community and, and our willingness to, to do as much as we could. And uh, from that moment on, I've been given a lot of accolades for this, by the way. Uh, Glenn Beck and, and them awarded me with called the Bonhoeffer Angel Award. Congress just recognized me in, on the congressional floor. And uh, it's very hard for me to get that because I, I was just part of the team uh -huh. and I, I could tell you right here and, and it's important to tell you like I'm not that smart or capable or brave enough to pull this off. Like from that moment that we said, yes, we were going to go this obedience to God's burning on our heart. The most, I the only way I know how to describe it was a sheer miracle in the next three days from that decision, God did the impossible. The joint chiefs allowed us as the only civilians, they allowed us to land on that HKI airport, which was controlled by DOD to leave the as civilians, that airport, and go out and rescue civilians. That shouldn't they should have never allowed us to do that? But I believe that was an impossible door. God opened for us. Uh, we called the United Arab Emirates, the royal family, because we had a connection there. We told them our plan, and uh, and the royal family came back with about an hour long call. They came back and said, not because uh, we were like, we, if we get people out, like we're going to bring them. They don't have visas, so we need a humanitarian center. And they said, you could use our humanitarian center. We'll give you doctors. We'll feed them. We'll take care of them. We'll provide a place for the State Department to start vetting them. They give them visas. Uh, so they they opened the red carpet uh, red carpet for us. And then they said, we'll give you two C-17 planes, which is large military planes and pilots to help you guys. The next day, Glenn Beck, the radio host, Glenn Beck, called me and said, I went on the radio because the only thing I knew how to do was get behind this microphone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't. I thought it was going to raise like maybe $1,000, but I raised $21 million and I don't have anything to do with it. And I'm like, oh, well, you can buy wow. planes. <laughs> and, uh, and so <laughs> so God just like did this miraculous thing in days. Yeah. And, and we went into Abu Dhabi. We left that airport and started sending ground teams out. We had a lady named Sarah Verardo from the Independence Fund and handling all the intake of requests. And uh, Tim Kennedy, I think you guys know Tim Kennedy. Uh, he's one of good friends of mine. Uh, he he was on the team. We just had this amazing team, and we were leaving. Our team's going outside the wire and getting people. We got Aziz, his wife, and six kids, about 180 people. The next day, we got about 800 people. The next day, like 1,000. It was all a blur because if you stopped for like five minutes to sleep, you were like, somebody's dying. I mean, my friend, uh, wow. one of our friends, uh, Sea Spray is his nickname. He lost 37 pounds in 10 days just because we didn't stop. 
And uh, and after that tenth day, the the Abbey Gate was blown up, which was where the uh, we lost thirteen of our service members, and the military started welding the gate shut, and the evacuation was over. We didn't know how many people we got out at that time, but we had ended up getting out at that time about twelve thousand people. And then the United States military left, and we were like, we kind of got together, and we like, we we can't leave, like uh, we couldn't leave. Chad, it kind of sounds like your history. The one who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, uh, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, you mentioned that, a persecutor, you mentioned that, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in a Christ Jesus. So I think I found my new life verse. And the, yeah. <laughs> the and this is the one who wrote most of the New Testament and was having God's people stoned to death. Yeah. And he turned and it reminded me his story reminded me of yours, my man. At 1 Corinthians 1 uh, Timothy yeah, First Timothy. Let's take our last break. I was thinking, uh, you know, you got 150 Psalms, and there are a lot of uh, prayers, and there's a lot of things going around, different circumstances, but they usually end in hope. But there's a couple of Psalms that are dark, and they seem to be, they get darker as it goes on, and they end it with almost little hope. And I was I was thinking when you thought that on just your journey here, and one of them is in Psalms 88, and it seems depressing when you read it, but it's, his first verse of that was, O Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. And, you know, sometimes when you're in that darkness, you there's something there inside you that you know like what you said, as far as God was a creator in heaven and earth, even as dark as it was. Because then he goes on to say, you know, my soul is full of trouble. My life draws near the grave. I'm counted amongst those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken my closest friends and have, have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. And it just, it goes on like that. But, you know, when I see see you now and I realize that, because you're like, well, why did God, uh, you know, allow all this to happen? To me, it always thinks back because when you start talking about your family, you know, when I was a kid and when I, when I had little kids, Trying to explain to them that we're going on a trip somewhere and this is going to be better for us. Well, they, they, they don't. They have no understanding of that. They don't look at the big picture of the things, and which ultimately, I think, God puts that seed in our family, those relationships, to realize that He's the architect of this. You know, and as dark as it seems we were, and even in this prayer, which was from the sons of Korah. They were acknowledging right off the bat, if there's a way to be saved, it's going to be through this Lord God, because I I am. You share the two greatest commands in the Bible is love God and love your neighbor. 
you proved loving your neighbor. You proved that by your actions. That's uh, yeah. You'll be commended for that. I I don't. I don't know what I can say, Chad. If I say something that I'm not supposed to, just tell us and we'll cut it out. But uh, one thing that was profound for me in meeting you was in uh, the last phone call we had or Zoom meeting about a potential project we're going to be working on, which at some point we'll tell you guys about. But uh, we were you were telling us this story about Aziz, and then I remember you like looked at your watch and like, all right, I got to go. And, and you said, uh, Aziz is getting baptized today. So yeah, I think that's cool. I don't know if we can say that here, but like, if we can, like, tell us about kind of how that ended with him. I mean, even like just recently. Can like you him. say it? Well, yeah, you can say it. <laughs> well, I don't know all the, I don't know all the, well, there was things with the DOD stuff. I didn't know yeah. all what, you know, was going on there, but. Well, I mean. <laughs> well, I would yeah. think. Well, as, as he's been, you know, the operation didn't end there. We, uh, I don't know how far you guys want me to go, but we stayed because we were like, we have to stay. There's like thousands of Americans here. The news said one, news said 100, the White House said 100, but we were like, we knew there were thousands. It didn't matter if there was one. You don't well, live in I'm America. glad you wrote a book about this because it seems like there's, <laughs> you could write a book literally about this. <laughs> we, we ended up staying, got 5,000 more out. Uh, and then myself and Dennis Price, who was a Marine at the Marine Corps, let off orders, uh, let come on leave to come with me. Went into Tajikistan and we went. We spent ten days on the Tajikistan border, and uh, and every day we, there was the Russian military was there, the Chinese military were there. Tajik, of course, and Taliban was on the Taliban side, and and we did about ninety miles of border reconnaissance. And every night we swam across that river in Afghanistan and built routes out for the people stuck in the Panjir Valley. Man, and uh, and uh, that you know that the Panjir Valley is Panjir River is like. Rap, five, category five that rap, is the you know, ultimate so. love your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of people, and this I'll get to answer your question, Zach. But a lot of people have asked us because I've done some media behind this. Like, why why did we go do that? Like, we don't know these people. I mean, I, I know Aziz, of course, but we don't know these people. Um, I think the simple answer is because the right thing to do. My wife was driving me to the airport, and she's like, "You're 46 years old. I'm 47 now. Why, like?" Can't somebody else do this? And I'm like, a military should, but they're not allowed to. We ha- we we're the next in line because we're the veterans, and we can, so we have to. And I, and uh, she's having a hard time understanding because she's scared. And and I said, what if it was our daughter? What if this yeah. was our family and our kid? Wouldn't we be praying that someone would come help us? Yeah. And so why we did it? It, it was because it's the right thing to do. And, uh, and we've been yeah. asked that a lot, and I've said that a lot. It's been the right thing to do. But recently, one of my buddies, Sea uh, Spray, was being interviewed. And, 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 uh, we were together being interviewed and, uh, the lady asked the same thing. Why, why are you guys doing this? You don't know these people. And, and he said, it's cause the right thing to do. And she asked a question that I think is pretty important. She said, is, is it worth it? And he said, it doesn't have to be. And I don't think it has to be worth it to do the right thing. I That's think right. sometimes we say, we, what do we get out of it? Is it worth the sacrifice? Like it was the ROI on it. And, uh, it doesn't always have to be worth it to do the right thing. And, uh, nine months hmm. as he spent in that humanitarian center waiting to come home because I believe this is his home. His wife and six kids came here, and I came back from Ukraine. I was in Ukraine, and they were waiting for me in the driveway. And uh, his little kids ran up to me, and they called me Uncle Chad, which makes me cry every time. And uh, and his wife, Hatra, who had never, who had always met me from a distance and did the cultural Afghan thing, because women aren't allowed, she ran up to me and gave me a hug and said, thank you, brother. Aziz and I put our arms around uh, each other and, and gave each other a big hug. And you know, wow. when he comes to church with us every day. He got baptized. And, and uh, it's just... It, I don't know, you know, the right thing to do, but man, if you ask me if it was worth it, heck yeah, it was worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those 17,000 people we got out for that one family. 
yeah, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, man, man, that's powerful. What a what a mission, you know. And I was thinking of the term warrior, which we throw around uh, probably way too loosely, uh, but that's what you guys are, Chad. I mean, you're you're our warriors, and and the fact you're also a, a man who understands God's grace and um and and him leading and guiding you into that uh makes you incredible uh and so again we're blessed because of that um in our remaining minutes here uh, of the regular podcast i I want you to tell folks a little bit about what you guys do at mighty oaks and then also uh, tell them where they can find the book too yeah i mean there's a lot of veterans organizations out there to do great things for veterans uh what we do at mighty oaks that's different is we're uh unapologetically share jesus with them i mean because uh I believe that PTSD, combat trauma, the traumas of life is, is a spiritual wound and a spiritual wound requires a spiritual solution. And, you know, you can go to doctors for clinical care and physical care. And I think those are important and necessary. Um, but the, the only thing that's going to heal someone truly and holistically is, is a personal relationship with Christ. And uh, so we've been pretty apologi- unapologetic about that since the beginning, because that's what healed me. And uh, a lot of people said through the years that we would never have access to the active duty military because of that. And uh, I'm here to, to say another side of that uh, as a testimony to the God doing the miraculous is that we uh, all four branches of the United States military sent people to us on orders. Uh, we've had thousands of people over the last 12 years sent to us on, on military orders uh, to our to our five different ranches around the country. Uh, we do a resiliency program where I go to bases around the world and I, and I speak and share my story and what God did in my life. Uh, even, even at non-religious events, just because it's what God did in my life. You know, military mm-hmm. talks about four pillars of resiliency, mind, body, spirit, and social. And so I'm able to talk about the spiritual peace, that spiritual pillar, and how important it is to do, to live a warrior's life and be combat ready and, and be able to walk away uh, unscathed um, or bounce back at least. And uh, we've been able to do 450,000 troops through that. We've uh, I've written several books uh, through John Howard, my agent who's here. He's a... Uh, Helped me uh, get books out, and I've given away about three hundred thousand copies to the troops. And then, uh, and then our recovery program. We have five different ranches around the country that we send people to for uh, active duty veterans, uh, active duty military veterans, first responders, and spouses. We pay for everything, including travel. So if anybody's listening and needs help, MightyOaksPrograms.org, totally free to come to the program. And then, uh, because of that success we've had, President Trump had appointed me to be the chairman of the White House's Faith Based Coalition. And we uh, we were able to get legislation and uh, and an executive order signed to bring faith based programs back into the DOD and VA, which in 2009 that was written out and uh, it went to all clinical. And so we were able to have a lot of success in Washington D.C. on policy. And then the fourth thing we do is we have an international program to share with our uh, share God's love with our, our, our ally partners around the world. And I've been to Ukraine ten times since February since the invasion in February, and we've done a lot of rescues there. Rescued uh, the Fox News reporter Benjamin Hall and recovered the body of Pierre. Uh, I personally recovered Pierre's body out of Ukraine, and then we wow. uh, we've been uh, on the front line as far as like two hours past the front line in the Russian occupied territory, sharing the gospel with uh, with the Ukrainian troops and helping equip them to defend their homes and families. So that's kind of what Mighty Oaks Mighty Oaks does. So awesome. uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation, if they just Google that, they can find out more about it. Yes, sir. Uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, MightyOaksPrograms.org is the website. And uh, okay. pretty, pretty easy. And to then find tell it. us about where 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 can folks uh, find the book? The book is called "Saving Aziz: How the Mission to Help One Became a Calling to Rescue Thousands from the Taliban." Where can folks find that? We go to savingaziz.org. Uh, that's the publisher's website for it, and it has all the different ways to buy it. The easiest way right now is on presale at Amazon on Amazon, 
And, uh, you know, pre-sale orders definitely help. Anybody knows anything about books, pre-sale orders always help. And uh, it'll be released on January 17th. And, uh, and we're doing the uh, release party at the Museum of the Bible. I'm good friends with the Green family. Oh. They're amazing. Yeah. So we, we thought there was no better place than to do uh, at the awesome. Museum of the Bible uh, the release party on January 25th. And, and uh, so, uh, and, and you guys That's... are definitely invited. <laughs> and and uh, if you ever been to the Museum of the Bible, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah. I want to share one story that's in the book that I, thinks, that I think you guys will appreciate. It's, it was a beautiful story. As we were getting these, these planes of people out of Afghanistan, there was a, everyone in the world came together. Like I had probably never been more, I'm a pretty patriotic guy, obviously. And I've never been more ashamed of our, I never, never been more ashamed of our government than, than during that time. I actually had to apologize to the Emirates family for, uh, for our government, not helping Americans when they helped me rescue Americans. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, but I've never been more proud of, of America, Americans, because it was Americans who stepped up and did the right thing, uh, when our government wouldn't. And that same thing happened in Ukraine right now. But other people from around the world did too. And there was this Jewish organization from Israel that stepped up and said, hey, we want to donate money uh, to, to pay for two planes. And the planes, one plane was 800000 the other was 700000 So a big donation, $1.5 million. And uh, they called me and they wanted to make this donation. And, uh, and we set it all up. And then they go to make the donation. They called back and they said, we have a problem. We can't make the donation. And I was like, did the routing number get wrong or what, what happened? Yeah. And they said, uh, no, you're a Christian organization. And we're a Jewish organization, like a Jewish organization can't give $1.5 million to a Christian organization. I said, okay, I, I get it, but do you realize we're rescuing Muslims, right? And, uh, and we, we all kind of laughed and uh, he said, well, let's do it. And we made the donation. And, uh, and it was just a beautiful moment where like different people came together from different cultures to do the right thing for their fellow human. And it really showed God's love to, to our neighbor and to, to people uh, who aren't like us and don't believe the same of us. And, uh, but we, when you showed God's love to other people, and not just people from that believe the same as we do. Uh, there's no there's no better uh, testimony of Jesus than that. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. So, Chad, it has been a huge blessing. Uh, I know to Unashamed Nation to have you on. Uh, I want to encourage people to get the book. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, I'm definitely going to get it uh, and, and read it, and then also check out uh, what you guys are doing at, at Mighty Oaks. We appreciate you being on here. I do have a few questions. We have an overtime segment. I hope you can stay over for it. Uh, I got a few questions kind of about the macro situation about Afghanistan, and, and no one I would think would be more qualified than you to answer that. So if you want to follow us over to overtime, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed to hear a little bit more from our friend Chad Robichaud. Thanks, Chad, for being on the podcast. <laughs>